I was part of a group that was sent uh, in the late 70s to mid 80s. So what are illegals? An, an, an illegal agent is a special uh, uh, kind of an agent because he pretends to be somebody other than himself. Welcome to the Independent Riot Podcast. Your home for free thinkers, independent believers, and radicals questioning the status quo. Our goal is to provide you entertaining, intelligent discussion around all of life's most pressing questions without hidden agendas or ulterior motives. So if you're too good for the bad, too bad for the good, and sick of people trying to convince you to join their preferred pyramid scheme this week, you've found your home. Now here's your host, Jim Duncan. Welcome back to The Independent Riot, everybody, where we don't shy away from provocative ideas, but use objective thinking, reasoning, and free speech to try and figure out what's true and what to do about it. Now, today's topic is both fascinating and extremely relevant to the current geopolitical crisis going on between Russia and Ukraine. If you've ever watched the hit television show The Americans, you've probably been simultaneously terrified and mesmerized by the concept that a hostile foreign government could potentially have undercover spies right next to you. And I don't mean some cooler than cool James Bond character in a three-piece tuck slightly drunk off martinis at 10 a.m., kicking bad guys' asses, smashing Lamborghinis, and screwing models. What we're talking about are potential spies that are much more insidious and dangerous in that you've never even considered they could be one. Maybe that apparently bland, mousy teacher at your daughter's school or your sad sack neighbor across the street looking for his cat or even your pudgy best friend that you've known for at least a decade sipping a beer next to you after your kid's softball game complaining about his aching knee. Could any of them, could all of them actually be foreign spies? Could it really be possible like the television show The Americans, that there would be people you have known and loved or at least tolerated and sort of ignored for years and years that are actually true-to-life, highly trained, undercover implementers of complex geopolitical espionage, or even sleeper agents committed to decades-long secret missions to trick you and everyone else into believing they are completely harmless, boring, average Americans, and then upon receiving some cryptic orders in the future dead of night, steal, kill, destroy, or do whatever is necessary to topple from the inside out that very same country, your country, they convinced you they loved and had always been a part of. Well, not only is it possible, it's proven fact. Starting in the 1950s and throughout the Cold War between Russia and the United States, most likely continuing to this very day through the Russian government, the Soviet Union's equivalent to the CIA, the KGB, began sending an untold number of spies on the most undercover of secret missions imaginable. 
to infiltrate the United States so completely as U.S. citizens that they were indistinguishable from loyal, born and bred Americans. Now, there are no accurate numbers for how many Soviet and Russian spies have successfully been implanted within the United States since the end of World War II. But through sparse arrests, data leaks, and testimony, it can provably be set to at least dozens. However, since many of these spies have never been caught, potentially, it is likely the accurate number over the past several decades is closer to hundreds, with one potentially still standing next to you right now. It all sounds crazy and maybe a little ludicrous, except that today's guest, Jack Barsky, was one of those Soviet spies. In fact, he's the only known public, not incarcerated and still living, Soviet illegal, as they're called, in the world. And trust me when I tell you, the Dosecki's world's most interesting man ain't got nothing on Jack Barsky. He also actually happens to be a great fucking dude and somebody I now consider a friend. Jack Barsky grew up in the Soviet-controlled East German GDR at the start of the Cold War. Because of his superior intellect and iron will, he was quickly recruited into one of the most secretive espionage programs in the world. He was sent to a multi-year training program in Moscow to learn English and how to act like an American, as well as multiple levels of espionage tradecraft, including surveillance, evasion, psychological manipulation, self-defense, and how to steal and share top-secret information through dead drops and encrypted communication. He then infiltrated the United States in his late 20s and slowly, through a process of years, painstakingly constructed a legally and perceptually airtight American identity of government-issued documentation, friends, and a career, all with the purpose of helping topple the United States whenever and however could be achieved when the clandestine orders to do so came to him from Russia. Now, in order to grasp the reality of Jack's life, I want you to quickly think of the most duplicitous thing you've ever done in your life. Maybe you shoplifted some candy from a store as a kid or lied to your boss about being sick in order to skip work or even something more awful like cheating on your spouse. It doesn't matter so much what it was, big or small, but I want you to think back on that low-level sense of dread you had at getting caught once you had decided to take that isolating step of deceiving those who trusted you. Think back on how heightened your senses were while processing if anyone was on to you. Remember the quickening of your brain as you processed all communication coming to you from text, emails, or casual exchanges in the street or around the water cooler. Did that hesitation in their voice mean they were on to you? Did the way their eyes lingered a little longer than normal indicate they were suspicious of something? Did you need to subtly shift your tone or word choice or body language in order to throw them off the trail, yet do it in a way that did not give in to paranoia or expose any stress that could actually highlight the very fraud you were trying to conceal? Deceiving people is a very stressful, isolating effort, even in the short term and even without huge consequences. Well, 
Jack lived this razor's edge existence every day within the United States for over a decade without ever being able to reveal the truth to anyone or ever even slightly screw up once on anything from a misplaced word to the slip of an accent to not knowing which American beer bottles were twist off lest someone realize who he actually was. He never knew if the FBI was on to him and when, if ever, his next orders from Moscow would come and what they would ask him to do. All he knew was that he must fool the entire world completely and utterly at all times with life imprisonment or death as the end result if he failed. And now, before you judge Jack too quickly as being a bad guy for this ongoing deception, keep in mind some crucial context and the entirety of his life story. In the pre-internet Cold War days, growing up in a communist-controlled country, all Jack knew and could possibly understand is that we, the United States, were the enemy. For all Jack had ever been told, the United States was evil and bent on destroying his homeland and all the people he loved if he didn't stop us. So Jack did what only the bravest, the most capable, and most heroic youth of any society do. He pledged his own life and future to go on the most dangerous and isolating of missions with stakes as high as global nuclear destruction if he failed. What makes Jack's story so fascinating, though, is not only his extremely unique insight on what the reality of being a spy was, but how his own evolution as an individual led him from being an unquestioning atheistic communist soldier to abandoning that political ideal for an even greater one, for the love, the safety, and to protect his own daughter, to eventually even completing what I would call a true hero's journey into a spiritual awakening that has brought him into his current existence as a wholehearted defender of capitalistic democratic principles and even Christianity itself. In this conversation, Jack goes in depth into various aspects of his life as a spy from training to undercover work to how he defected from the USSR, found God, and then was still caught by the FBI, who now he even occasionally goes golfing with. We get into details about how the Soviet illegals program actually operated, what his thoughts are on the current Russian invasion of Ukraine, as well as how his unique perspective on both communism and capitalism helps him clearly see what some of the internal dangers for America now are. Once you listen to this episode, I highly encourage you to go in the show notes and buy Jack's autobiography, which is called Deep undercover, which is a fantastic book and goes into way more detail about his life and the realities of being a spy than we can cover in this show. Um, you can also listen to a podcast called The Agent. That is a series that is all about Jack's life, interviewing him as well as other people that knew him. But now, without further ado, the daring, the principled, the epitome of an independent thinker, and always the all-around most fascinating guy in the room, former KGB spy, Jack Barsky. All right, and so Jack, you have written a fantastic book uh, about a 
fantastic life story, incredibly unique life story that I, I got to say, um, there could be no one else on the planet that uh, comes close to having the same life story as you. So yep. yeah, it's uh, you've written a book called Deep Undercover that basically takes you, uh, tells your life story from growing up in East Germany, the GDR, uh, prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall, getting recruited by the Soviet Union to become an undercover, what's called Soviet illegal in the U.S., which was an undercover agent uh, operating in the U.S., completely undercover. And the story uh, goes through not only your childhood, but your adulthood working as an undercover uh, KGB operative in the U.S., but then to your progression to uh, leave that behind and become a U.S. Uh, citizen and actually finding God. And the thing that fascinates me about this story, well, there's so many aspects that fascinate me from the geopolitical to the uh, how the reality of espionage works to also your personal story is what I took from it was kind of a um, almost a hero's journey of one thread that I saw throughout your life was you have been uniquely devoted, almost like a soldier or a knight to a cause, an ideological cause throughout your life. But then it's fascinating that ideological cause has shifted and you have pursued that new evolved uh, ideology as completely and as fearlessly as you did the old one. The, tr the, the progression basically in my mind being from communism to the love of your daughter to God. And it's a fascinating evolution of a person in an incredibly unique environment. So to start off, would you just kind of mind giving your summary of your life and then we can delve into different parts of it? Well, you did a great job already, but, but uh, if I may just add a little color to what you just talked about, you, you really grasped uh, uh, the essence of my evolution very well. Um, None of that was deliberate, at yep. least not 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 at the beginning. N none of the the changes uh, I, I pursued actively; they just happened, uh, and they had to do with me as as an individual responding to situations rather than creating them. And that's one of the reasons, uh, multiple reasons, but that's one of the reasons why I have to believe that there's somebody else uh, in charge when we think we are, we really are not, because there's uh, so much going on without our knowledge that uh, that has to do with others that will influence us. I had the opportunity to actually look back and do the research and, and talk with individuals who did things or, or, or know that people did things that that make get me to a point where I'm talking to you today. Uh, yeah, my my uh, my first twenty, let's say almost thirty years of, of my life were dominated by communist I ideology. 
I didn't know much else anyway, but it, it uh, as you know, that when you're young, uh, the idea of everybody getting along together and then uh, there not, not be any evil in the world and, uh, and there's no exploitation and there are no rich, no poor. And it's, this is a great romantic idea that, that keeps on coming back. It's like the whack-a-mole. Yeah. You, 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 you can't, you can't defeat it with rational arguments simply because there's a lot of emotion in there yeah. and you cannot, you cannot talk people out of their emotions. And, and then, and then Marxism on top of it really, uh, um, is brilliant and the the communist ideology in that it it pretends to have a scientific underpinning. Yeah. All right. So we studied scientific Marxism-Leninism in high school and in college. That's what it was called, scientific, because it was a a science that uh, Marx had discovered that uh, the evolution of of uh, um, civilization was going from slavery to. Uh, the um, uh, what is it? The agricultural uh, feudalism mm-hmm. to capitalism to socialism and communism. It was inevitable. Now, why wouldn't you want to join a cause that's inevitable and that's a good cause, and uh, you know, do something for it, and in the process, also like become a bit of a hero? Because we all, you know, when we when we're young, most of us want to be something special. You know, we you. Yeah. I never thought what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be a spy, but I also didn't want to be a fireman, a policeman. Yeah. <laughs> but when the opportunity arose to be- become something really special, I, I, could, I couldn't resist. <laughs> Can I ask a question about that time period in East Germany? Because this is something that has uh, fascinated me before. I can... You know, I, I'm old enough. I distinctly remember the the time before the wall came down. So when uh-huh. the Soviet Union still existed. But one thing that I've only recently become aware of was when uh, uh, Germany was basically divided after World War II. Right. It fascinates me that both the Soviets and the U.S. were allies in defeating Hitler. But then one thing that was mentioned in your book, I believe, but I've also heard elsewhere, is that the Soviets uh, labeled basically America as almost – and uh, Putin actually just uh, said something about this the other – yesterday in his invasion of Ukraine – the Soviets labeled America as being pro-Nazi. And so that got me interested, like, how did that shift, you being on the ground growing up in that environment, how was that framed publicly from the end of World War II uh, being allies to how did we become the enemy in, okay. in the terminology and discussion? So I knew, I, I did not, I wasn't old enough to uh, perceive the change. <clears throat> Um, you know, the, the allies, uh, they were allies for a while and then, uh, the United Nation was formed. So it, it looked like, uh, they were playing nice together. This is the, the connection with Nazism. And we never, uh, uh, we, when I saw in, us communists in the old days, never accused the United States of direct Nazism, but of racism. Okay. Uh, but here, here's the thing, uh, uh, in the, the the United States rebuilt West Germany, uh, made a lot of investments, 
And obviously, we were envious about that. But with those investments, came there, there came a couple of mistakes, and I call them unforced error. Um, there was um, there was a, a general in 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 Nazi uh, secret services. He he was in charge of uh, uh, espionage on the Eastern Front. His organization had a lot of information about the Soviet Army. When uh, when the war ended and a lot of uh, uh, crooks, uh, Nazi crooks, were put on trial in Nuremberg, the head of that organization, General Galen, was free as a bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his, his entire organization was co-opted by the CIA. Now, we knew that. Yeah. Okay, so, so the CIA actually... Worked with his ex-Nazi, who then became the head of the Bundesnachrichtendienst, which is the equivalent of the CIA in, in West Germany. Oh, okay. that was that was a stupid error that uh, that gave us a lot of propaganda material. That's what there was one of them. Uh, there were a few other ex-Nazis who uh, weren't radically denazified, so to speak, and in these in the Soviet. Uh, uh, occupied territory, they were hunting down ex-Nazis like uh, like the Israelis did, oh, right? Oh, interesting. Uh, so, okay. and, and there was a there was a West German chancellor who had a Nazi uh, background. He was a member of the Nazi Party. His name was Kurt Georg Kiesinger. So, so there there was enough ammunition for the Russians and the East German communists to say, well, see this neo-Nazism and we, we got to defend us against those evil people and the American porting West Germany. That was the propaganda behind it. Uh, some of, and, and this is, this is uh, always the case. Lies and big lies work yep. the best when they're mingled with truth. Yep. Okay. So when you say, "Oh yeah, I, I know this to be true," though, no, and then you start accepting the rest of the nonsense. Yep, yeah, that goes on rapidly or rampantly today. Yes, uh, it is. in America. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, in, in regards to that, uh, like you basically in the book, which highly, highly recommend anyone that wants a fantastic read to pick up deep undercover, and there'll be a link to it in the show notes in that period in your life, you were uh, uh, succeeding, doing very well as uh, as a, uh, was it chemistry or? Yeah, yeah, I, I studied chemistry. Yeah. See, see, God gave me a very well-functioning brain. This is not something you can take credit for. Yeah. What I can take some credit for is I had uh, uh, excellent uh, studying skills and 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 I was very disciplined, and because chemistry is the kind of uh, science that is only part logical and the rest of it is memorization. Okay. So, and I and I just worked my ass off. Yeah. That's why I, I wasn't probably I wasn't the smartest, the most the most talented guy, but I worked the hardest. Yeah. So you put put this together, and I became a star student. Yeah. And, and it seems like that personality trait or ability of the intellect, but with your ability to uh, sort of almost ruthlessly devote yourself to things to an, yeah. made you made you probably ideal uh, fodder to be recruited because they saw that this is a guy that can go to a foreign country and actually not give up because 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. A stubborn yeah. as a mule uh, will not uh, uh, defeat doesn't exist. Uh, this is how I learned English, uh, basically back from scratch when I started with the KGB. <clears throat> In I learned it well enough to be totally fluent, uh, uh, passively reading, and within two years, I was able to talk almost like I'm talking with you now. Yeah, uh, and and that that required a lot of dedication and i i know what i'm talking about because i kept track i learned 100 english words every day new ones wow and you know why it is 100 because i i once read lenin's biography and when he was in exile in finland i believe he learned 100 German words every day. So I figured, you know, if Lenin can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> yeah, that whole uh, your progression from the recruitment to the training to uh, then being sent to the United States is a fascinating part of your story. Um, before hearing about that, though, I was just going to ask, can you kind of give a real quick overview of what the Soviet illegal spying program was and for anyone's yeah. reference it's basically been fictionalized in the americans tv show yeah. correct yes yeah. uh the basic setup uh but not in not the execution thereof <clears throat> yeah um so um the the um uh, when when the soviet union first came into existence they did not do any spying abroad it take it took a while to to develop that and they had a lot of success in the united states with with american born communists okay. so they had insiders so to speak and uh if you're familiar with the uh, venona project <clears throat> no uh that is uh, that was a project uh, to to where where uh, American counterintelligence uh, intercepted uh, cables bit, uh, going back and forth between uh, 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 amongst Russians. I, I don't know exactly wh what they intercepted, but based on what they were able to to uh, decipher, and uh, it, it became quite clear that uh, that there were quite a few communists in the United States government at the time. Yeah. Oh, you know, really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes, particularly in the State Department. So, so, so the and and you know the atomic secret was not stolen by Russian agents. It was stolen by people that Russian agents uh, actually recruited, American yeah. citizens, the Rosenbergs, and uh, uh, I spent some time working with uh, um, um, Morris and Lana Cohen. They they were part of that group. They wound up in the latter years in Moscow. So, so anyway, uh, and then what happens is the, the uh, during the McCarthy uh, hearings and subsequent uh, uh, prohibition of the Communist Party, they the Soviets ran out of sources, and the uh, over time the communist model became rather unpopular in the United States. So they couldn't recruit the insiders. So yeah. they now started, they figured, um, let's develop our own insiders. And they sent, uh, I think there were about three waves of illegals that were trained and sent to the United States uh, starting in, in, the, in the late 40s and in the 50s and, and I was 50s and 60s. And, and I was part of a group that was sent uh, in the late 70s to mid 80s. So what are illegals? An, an, an illegal agent is a special uh, uh, kind of an agent because he pretends to be somebody other than himself. Okay? Yeah. 
And it's, for instance, there's there's a lot, almost every embassy in every, uh, in every country is that uh, if the sending country can't afford it, has spies, but they're under diplomatic immunity. So when they are caught, uh, they can get kicked out of the country, but they will not be arrested. That's uh, part of an international convention. Yep. Then there's other agents that uh, uh, are not diplomats, so they are taking some risk. They are they could be students or journalists or you know business people that are actually doing some spying. Um, they can be arrested, but they are also a little more suspect because you know mm-hmm. they're coming in from another country with their own ID. So, and then there's us, and we just pretend to be somebody else. Uh, I think the most uh, illegals uh, were sent in via a third country, pretending to have been maybe citizens of Finland or Canada. I came to the United States pretending that I was born here. Yeah, you had you had to have the uh, language ability to a point where the accent was minimal. So I could get away with it. So uh, the illegals are incredibly difficult to to train. Yeah. As, first of all, to find the, the people who who are capable of doing it and who want to do this, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and the training was all done in secret. The moment I said yes to the KGB, I, I became a Soviet state secret. There were maybe three people that knew me who I was. Yeah, everybody, everybody else. When when we met them, we introduced each other with cover names. So, uh, see, the training was all one on one. There was no schools, no 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 classes, and uh, and it was one on one. And if if I was trained by a person who spoke only Russian, then uh, my liaison would be the go between, and that cost a lot of money and time. So, yeah. for instance, the the uh, the group that was sent out one by one, we never knew about one another. Uh, in the late seventies to mid eighties, there were ten of us. And and how do I know that this is uh, the exact number? Because that information was uh, part of uh, a treasure trove of um, uh, information smuggled out of the KGB archives by the guy who ran the archives. And that that uh, was the same uh, Vasily Mitrokin. And that was the same information that actually got you yes. caught by yes, the FBI. I, yeah, my name and and some basic information uh, that I was an illegal and uh, that I was living someplace in 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 the northeastern United States. That was enough for the FBI to find me. Yes, uh, and I, if he were still alive, I would get on my knees and thank Mister Mitrokin <laughs> for, for doing this uh, because it it changed my life again and and uh, it changed it so so radically and so wonderfully that I can only thank God as as to where I wound up. So, yeah. uh, So that was the training. Uh, I I hope I didn't ramble too much. No, no, no. That that is excellent. Like I, I'm just fascinated by in your book, you talk about a lot of that period, the details of that training, which took years to take yeah. a, a native German speaker with no right. English and basically train you in the Soviet Union and in Germany to be an American without yeah. ever coming to America. Well, I did have a practice run uh, three months in Canada. Oh, that's right. Yep. That was somewhat helpful, you yeah. know, because it, I got a flavor of of what it might be like uh, 
it was pr- primarily uh, psychologically important. You know, yeah. it took me, um, I would say, five, six, seven years to pretty much act like an American because there's so many things you can't teach. It's yeah. through observation, through interaction. And it's one thing uh took me even longer to get rid of, and that's German aggressiveness. So I huh. give you. I was already. I I was already. Um, I had left the KGB maybe three or four years prior to that incident. There's a friend of mine at the job. Uh, he uh, he took me aside one day in a, in a and took me into a, a room and said, "Hey Jack, I got to tell you one thing. I like you, but everybody else thinks you're an asshole." <laughs> and I said, uh, that, that. "Well." I finally realized when I went back to Germany after so many years and and I I realized how Germans are so very aggressive in their communication they they uh, the the privacy zone in in Germans is a lot closer to your face so yeah, they're yeah. in your face and they will tell you what they think good bad or indifferent whether you ask for it or not and I'm saying and this is my best friend that I'm meeting and I'm like oh my god that's what happened. You know, that, that was the last. That was the last um, radically obvious uh, vestige of uh, not being American that that, uh, that I got rid of. <laughs> and that and that was that was pretty late in the process. As far as it was how pretty long. late in yeah. the process, I'm still known to be uh, brutally and aggressively honest. Yeah, I think that, that's. Uh, yeah, I must get that. Then my mother has uh, is German. I mean, okay. not not uh, first generation, but her, her uh, ancestors okay. were from Germany. So I think I've got some of that as well. So <laughs> it, it's not a bad trait, in my opinion. But. No, I, honesty. You know, if if you tell the world what you see based based on what you believe that, that what you're seeing is 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 the truth, and nobody knows the absolute truth, but you speak what what you see, and that doesn't mean that you aggressively say, well, this is the truth and you can't tell and say anything else. This is what we have nowadays with the, uh, with Fauci, particularly what an, yep. I'm sorry. Did I call somebody an a-hole? Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we support free speech here. So, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, I definitely want to get your takes on kind of the, the current, uh, U S environment in a bit um but before we get to that uh yeah there's so many fascinating details about your time here in the u.s and one thing that fascinated me was uh and i was projecting myself if i was in your situation and agreeing to do what you had done it well two things struck me is uh one being an american growing up here the entire time, I was just thinking they don't seem to be paying you nearly enough to uh, have you uh, over uh, give up on your entire life over there and devote all this time, which, of course, was a different system and ever, you know, yeah. so. But then the other part was it seems like you never you were you were kept in the dark quite a yes. bit is to yes. what the overall and that would have frustrated the hell out of me if I was dedicating my life to something of like not 
being able to see the big picture. And that was one thing that just struck me of how difficult that must have been that you were truly operating on a faith to the communist cause, I guess. All right. So, so, so there, there are two sides to this situation. Um, I, if I had known a little more, uh, if I had had more uh, of a frame of reference for some of the things I was involved in, I would have made better decisions. Okay. Okay. I, I made some bad decisions based on uh, assumptions that were inaccurate, but uh, they could have easily shared with me a little more. Yeah. Now, now here's the other side of the coin. The more you 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 uh, give, more information you give to an agent like my like me, if they're caught or if they get flipped. They can uh, betray yeah. a lot of secrets, and so I tell you what the and, and this is every uh, every individual who has uh, been active in intelligence and counterintelligence in the U.S. that I've spoken with uh, will agree that the, the the KGB was a master in compartmentalization. Wow. They told you only as much as they thought you need to know, and that was from my angle, it was never enough. Okay. Yeah, and here's, here's an, uh, the extreme. I have a friend who um, was FSB. That's the Russian uh, uh, Russian counterintelligence okay. uh, um, agency. He told me that it was very likely that the person in Moscow who made decisions about me and you know what to do and where to go and the tasks probably didn't know me and never met me. Didn't have to. Hmm. Okay. So, so it, uh, what happens uh, to to a lot of Western intelligence agencies when you have one bad uh, apple in your ranks, you you, you can uh, he can cause dozens of people to die. Yeah, I couldn't give away a single individual. Yep. Yeah, because you didn't know none, not at all. Yeah. So, and and even the folks I knew by name, they were they were code names, right? You know, I had my own. Yeah. That, that's just an utterly fascinating process uh that so you were just basically embedded in the u.s and yep. and once you got into the u.s a lot of your first several years here were spent getting documentation and right. trying to basically convince the system you belong yeah. here yeah establish, then, establish yeah. myself as an american and uh uh the, the one of the reasons they recruited people like me they were reasonably certain that I actually would find my own solution mm -hmm. uh, because no, no matter what they thought, uh, you know, how I should proceed very often either didn't work or I had obstacles associated with it. They, they, they had to rely on my good judgment and my ability to not give up, take the initiative and, you know, just keep on trying. It took me one full year to get to a point where I had a social security card. Yeah. And it was uh, it didn't w work the way they instructed me. Well, and <laughs> you had a close call almost uh, with the, trying to get a passport. Oh yeah, passport. yeah that that was partially my fault. But you know, see, I um, they should have been a little more aggressive, just telling me, you know, we rely on you and your your ability to think things through. Instead, you know, uh, there was a little bit of a you know an order taker in me. Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't question things because that was the mighty KGB. You know, they got to know yeah, what yeah. they're doing. And so the problem with that passport application was that uh, uh, I filled the application out 
wrong and to, very quick. Um, I had all the documentations I needed. I needed, uh, uh, you know, a, a birth certificate, which was genuine, and uh, um, a, a driver's license for ID. And then in the application, um, there were a couple of fields that were discretionary. But the first first mistake I made was uh, uh, when the question was, uh, what's your profession? And I wrote messenger. That was damn honest, but it was wrong. I should have, I should have written independent contractor, which would have been huh. not been a lie either. Yeah, uh, messenger, messenger immediately come to mind. These are the guys that run around the street and they make minimum wage. Well, I was yeah, a messenger yeah. who made quite a bit more money. Uh, I could, I, uh, I, I made enough money to not uh, have to be subsub- subsidized by the KGB anymore. And then there were these two discretionary fields. Uh, the one says when. Uh, you were allowed to leave in blank. Where do you plan to go and when are you planning to leave? I left them blank. So now here's this uh, alert clerk who looks at the application and there is a messenger who makes no money and he doesn't <laughs> know where he's going and he doesn't know when, he, what, uh, when he's going. What the heck does he need a passport for? I would like to thank this person as well because yeah. he, by him, uh, by, by him uh, raising the red flag, and me not being able to uh, get the passport, he pretty much killed a very dangerous agent uh, before he got uh, could spring into action. Because the plan was for for me to take that passport, you know, move to Switzerland, uh, start a company, and then the, the KGB had very good experience funneling money into. Yeah. Uh, so so now maybe I'm ten million dollars richer. I come back as a reasonably wealthy person. Yeah, uh, I had the knowledge, I had the education, um, I had the ability to interact with people, and now I had the money. I would have been very dangerous. Yeah, yep, yep. I, I yeah, it, it's uh, it's amazing. Like it, when you, uh, yeah, and for anyone listening to this, one thing I'd say is to keep in mind that the internet didn't exist. Oh that's yeah. What, yeah, when that clicked for me of that a lot of, and there's one part in the book, I think that you reference where the Soviets literally don't know exactly how America functions right. in a lot of ways. Right, right. did so not, did, yeah. did not at all. Yeah, I mean, so you were basically, you sometimes couldn't be given better instructions because they didn't know how it worked. So right. it was like... Yeah. There was there, there and and that that went both ways. The CIA didn't didn't really uh, figure out how how communism works and how yeah. you know they didn't predict the fall of the Soviet Union. They didn't predict the fall of the Berlin Wall. They, uh, and it it was mutual cultural societal ignorance, and yeah. that still exists today. Yep, uh, and that's one of the reasons we. We wind up making mistakes in our policy towards Russia because there are amateur ideologues uh, who who advise the the decision makers yeah. instead of somebody who is a friend of mine, uh, the ex station chief of the CIA in Moscow by the name of Dan Hoffman. Yeah, now he he know he has studied this. He was yeah. like a high level analyst. He know, and uh, yeah, no, he's retired and nobody's asking him. I'll, I'll ask him, Jack, if you can set up, <laughs> if you can set up the appointment. <laughs> but 
I, I, I'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for anybody that hasn't read the book yet, yeah, a, a, a good bit of the number of years that you are actively working for the KGB undercover here, you were working on getting set up as an American uh, citizen uh, le- uh, legally and, and perceptually and everything. It Another aspect that fascinates me, going back to your personal story, is so you are a very capable, uh, extremely intelligent person who was on a track to uh, probably be like an academic I would say before you got recruited or something. I mean, on that level of like you were doing well enough. But oh, here you. That, that wasn't. I'm sorry, just, uh, but let yeah. me just, just chime in here. Um, um, that was a given. Uh, th- that that career path was wide open to me, but there was a more dangerous one, which I wouldn't have known to be dangerous then. I could have easily wound up in the government because. Yeah. Because I was recruited by the university uh, uh, youth organization, communist organization, to oh, that's be- right, become deputy and an eventual yep. the first secretary. I mean, that's a political job. Yeah, and, and I was also recruited by the uh, by the uh, small party organization of the section chemistry to become the youngest uh, first secretary of the, of their party groups. So when you look at that. There's only one more step in your own government. Yeah. And so now, now I can't tell you what I would have done. Let's say you're married and you and you finally get to see what's going on and you say, shit, this is this is this is not right. What yeah. do you do? Now now you're caught in a bind. Yeah. Uh, not too many people got out of it and you just you know, you swallow hard, you close your eyes and do your job because you got to support your family. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, that 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 was the uh, the situation, and in a, in a sense, I was I'm really glad when people ask me. So, do you regret anything? Regret joining the KGB? No, that was my ticket out of there. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know it. Well, but so when you were uh, for that ten years or so while you were a bike messenger, no, no, there- was, a bike was three years. Oh, that was only three years. Well, okay. I was going to ask, like, there's got to be a point where you're wondering, you're so isolated as far as from your family, from your, the past easy successes that were lined up for you in life. I, I, I was just thinking there had to be some point during those years here in the U.S. where you thought like, my God, I've made a horrible mistake like all i do is occasionally send these messages back to the kgb but like i'm just uh like it did you ever compare to what your life could have been and just think mm-hmm. this is not the the correct path or did it all seem exciting enough and ideologically driven enough that it made sense well, during the time I was not employed, the first year and then underemployed, the second, the third, and fourth year, uh, I was still ideologically uh, pure. So okay. I did it for the cause. And then life got a little more interesting because after failing to uh, get the passport, I went to college in the U.S. Yep. 
and became valedictorian, <laughs> which is a funny story. But it is a funny story because I I don't think there has been any other uh, hostile uh, foreign agent in this country who became valedictorian. Yeah, that's a great that's a great uh, sales point for that college. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I find funny. It's funny that they really have not reached out to me uh, to to get back there and. Uh, and give a presentation, I would do this gladly for, for nothing, but uh, I, I don't care. Anyway, uh, so it, it became interesting. And i tell, tell you what, there was a moment when I went the light on here, and I was supposed to, they told me, you need to study economics so you can you know, go work, work on Wall Street, and you're going to make some really good contacts there. So as part of uh, the base curriculum, there was uh, – uh, a course called Introduction to Computing. I didn't want to take that. Yeah. No, but I had to, right? And then as part of that, we had to learn a computer language, Fortran. And so as I got, got a little, uh, I understood how this works, I started writing programs and I said, oh my God, I can actually write code that that calculates the uh, the area that is circumscribed uh, circumscribed by a sine curve, which yeah. which in in math it's called integration. I can actually make li- really little tiny little pieces, add them all together. Get them back. I said, "My God, this is great!" <laughs> so <laughs> I went back to Moscow and I told him I changed my major. I'm doing computers. Yeah. And at yeah. that point, things got interesting. You know, I did computing on the side, and then I became a programmer, and I worked for a living. I did that for a living, and I still did computing on the side. So um, I was not crying any crocodile tears over having lost uh, my uh, my con- connection with science. I was now sort of in computer science, and that that was that was the best part of. Uh, of my career in the United States, hands-on work and creating stuff with uh, writing code. And and was that as you got uh, into that and as things progressed in your career and with uh, your social life and, and I've forgotten her name, but uh, the, the woman that uh, you had your daughter with, is that, is that Penelope? <clears throat> Penelope, that's right. Is that... Uh, when you slowly started to kind of yeah. like America or. Yeah, well, sure. That's what this, um, uh, I met Penelope when I was already uh, a professional, <clears throat> you know, and, and, you know, as a young man, um, it, it's a, I needed, I was supposed to have a normal life and a normal life uh, would include a girlfriend. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I really wanted one too, <laughs> just, yeah. uh, be honest about it. And so, yeah, when I was already working for two or three years and, and making decent money in, in corporate and, uh, Penelope was, uh, is, she's still alive from, uh, originally from Guyana. So she was a foreigner and she was very safe. You know, I, I, clearly didn't want to have a liaison with a born smart American woman okay. because they still would have picked something up. This is yeah, something yeah. really odd about you. And I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but, but I, 
you, you, you can can you tell me a little more about you know your parents or like my backstory yeah. was pretty long but it would it was not 100% convincing and sorry for the abrupt break here listener but just wanted to let you know we did have some technical internet issues in the conversation with Jack at this point which cut off the the discussion abruptly but then we got it back up and running and here is when the conversation picked back up oh man <laughs> i actually lost a, my wi-fi was, was okay gone. well we'll we'll so, get it eventually here i i think i think this is uh russian intelligence <laughs> yeah. hacking into my that, that means it's going to be a good episode then yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess uh i was just going to ask you to kind of tell like the the latter portion of that story of once you you've been here for a while you're getting sort of more ingrained professionally uh yeah. relationship wise you're you're questioning probably the the ideologies that originally drove you and then yes. you've got that or leading up to that maybe you got that order the red dot on the yeah the, to get yeah. out of the country and that's a fascinating story of like you refusing to leave that that was in 1988 and at that time um i maybe two years before one day i kept thinking because the idea was fundamentally you know you're going to be in the us maybe 10 12 years so i was thinking man i'm going to miss this here i like this i like the job i like my friends it's going to be hard to leave but i was still loyal to the cause which had uh changed to some degree uh you know softened it wasn't such hard core communism anymore i would have at that point um would have been a b very good addition to the left wing of the democrat party today <laughs> so so but i i still uh i had no no intention of staying in the us and defecting so to speak that was never a thought so and that was at the end of 1988 uh, the KGB got spooked uh somehow they thought uh I was under investigation I don't know what they thought the reason was but I know for sure that they they made a miscalculation because I met a colleague of mine who was also an illegal in the United States yeah. and he was ordered back home at the same time huh okay and he and he went home And since he wasn't uh, as uh, he wasn't closely connected, after three months, it was able. For, they sent him back to the U.S. Hey, I'm sorry, we made a mistake. I, obviously, I didn't know this. Yeah. <clears throat> so they they were spooked. Uh, they in those days, you know, Putin is is uh, is not so worried when his agents are caught. You know, he 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 thinks it's a good idea sometimes to scare the scare huh. the West, right? Yeah. Uh, the the Soviets were very very uh, protective of their agents. And so anything that uh, seemed to be a danger, they would act on it. And so we had a, si a system of signals that uh, uh, we would uh, uh, be able to set someplace to be read by a counterpart. The counterpart was a diplomat, uh, an agent on the, with diplomatic cover. Uh, signals, very basic signals that uh, would say something like, 
uh, I received your radiogram or I arrived in the country. Like these were chalk marks at a place that everybody, that the other person knew, uh, pretty much passed by every day on the way to work. And so they knew how I went to work. So we made a signal spot uh, right next to the subway on one of those uh, support beams that was the, the A train runs uh, above ground there. So in one day, it was like probably, you know, 6.37 in the morning. I'd make my way to the subway, and I'd, I'd just take a cursory look at that spot, and there was a red dot. <laughs> yeah, that meant get out of here. It was, that, was, that was a hard, uh, hard uh, order. You, you must leave. You're in severe danger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, didn't, I didn't say it, but I was thinking the S word. <laughs> oh shit. I'm not, I'm not ready. And, and, uh, so that the, my response to that indicates a couple of things. A, that I, I wasn't ultimately a, a high, highly independent individual. Uh, I would not follow all orders, and I was also reckless. To you know, I, I was not just fearless, but that was reckless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I sh- I, I should have gone yeah. right, but there was a there was another force that was was bigger than than that, and that was uh, Chelsea, eighteen month old girl who I had just left in the apartment because she was my daughter, and so when I tell people that you know that there is no Nothing that love cannot overcome in life, uh, I, I speak the truth from experience because everything that was good for me was over there. Yeah. In my old country, I had no idea the wall would come down. I would have returned a conquering hero. I I had a lot of dollar savings. They paid me in dollars, yeah. but they didn't give them to me because I didn't need them. Uh, and, and I had a family in Germany and they even promised me a house. So I would have had the good life on the communism, the best you can have. And I, I would have been active in espionage anyway, you know, those, uh, forays into, uh, other countries as a courier or somebody who meet, meets other people and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it, it would have been a really good, interesting life. And I would have been, which I really appreciated a lot. I would have been above the law, you know. Yeah. I was so, I was so full of myself. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to be better than the rest of people. So that was the good stuff, and all the bad stuff was over here, right? So yeah, well, if the FBI might be coming after me, and then I'm deep trouble, yeah. particular. And and uh, and then if the FBI doesn't come after me, eventually, if I disobey the order, the KGB might. Yeah. So. Everything, every rational argument said, get out of here. And there was this one four-letter emotion, love. Couldn't do yeah. it. Yeah, that's amazing. I, yeah, because you're – yeah, there. I can't imagine – you're basically between two worlds. And yeah. you're like – yeah, there's a very safe route to go there and a very dangerous yep. one. And you pick – and you're already in a dangerous situation, but now it's like you're making it even more dangerous, yeah, and yeah. more isolated, and, yeah. And so um, the the decision took 
took a while. I played for time initially because, you know. And they sent a guy to basically tell you you would be dead if you didn't. No, well, no. Initially, like, uh, I didn't do what they asked me to do. Uh, And and the, the next message I got was, this was on a Monday, on a Thursday I, I received a radio transmission via shortwave, and that's where I got a length, a much more lengthy explanation. You got to leave the country. You know, emergency procedure uh, is in effect. Uh, pick up your, your reserve document, which I had hidden someplace in a park, uh, and go to Canada. Uh, okay, so at at this point, they st- didn't know, and then then they asked me uh, confirm reception of the of the radiogram and i didn't yeah so they didn't know i could have been in a hospital i could be sick uh the radio could be broken whatever so they repeated this now every day every day they repeated the same message and i just like didn't respond and eventually they they went for broke they did something that they would normally never do and that is contact uh an, an illegal in the country where he operates and i had this this guy uh, approached me on a subway platform and and whispered this uh, infamous sentence that uh, will stick with me as long as I live. And it, uh, he went like, "You got to come home, or or else you're dead." Verbally, yeah. that I remember. And now, did did that mean to you that they would potentially kill you, or that people were on to you in the U.S.? Or did I chose? I I chose to you know your your cover is blown and he said dead and which was a uh, which was a um um nah what what, uh, it's a mistake a foreign speaker can easily make you know in a situation like that you would not use the word dead okay so I I was let's say eighty percent sure that's that that is what he meant however. You know, I knew that the KGB was very, very uh, uh, unhappy when people defected. And they had a track record. I knew that they had a track record of killing defectors. Yeah. Uh, So you had to take it somewhat seriously. It wasn't just like, you know. uh, uh, So now I had the threat from both sides and for for the – when I eventually decided to tell him that I'm not going, and this is where I wrote my last letter in secret writing, and I told him, listen, <laughs> I, I can't come. I have HIV AIDS. Yeah. And, uh, and that was very convincing, which I didn't know that it did convince, but uh, they they went to my German family and told them that I was dead. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I also uh, wrote in the letter that I was not going to defect. I just I was retiring, okay. Yeah. And uh, and I asked them to give some of my I, to give my dollar savings to my German family, and they actually handed over some of the money, and if not all of it, but some of the money. Huh. Uh, and I found all of this out because I, you know, when when I was able to, I I made contact with my son, who uh, by that time was already an adult, obviously. So. Um, and and then after I mailed this letter, I destroyed my shortwave radio. I, I destroyed uh, and, uh, some paper that was used for for secret writing. So I was done. And then I went every morning. I went to work on a different route uh, at a different time. So it was I wasn't predictably 
in the same spot at the same time. Okay. So it was like, so I, I wasn't just like happy go lucky. Yeah, no, no, I, I took precautionary measures so that, you know, if in case they come after me, they wouldn't know where to look for me and when. Yeah. What, and uh, that, that lead. And I also, well, I was going to ask real quick, quickly, that leads to a question that I've wanted to ask you. I haven't seen you answer anywhere else. Do you have any fears of the, the KGB or at this point? still coming after you or um no uh i mean the one thing i wouldn't want to do is uh is um take a trip to russia <laughs> yeah i can uh, because you know <laughs> you you you're presenting yourself as a potential victim and uh and and putin is the kind of guy who might actually try something like this because he he likes to scare the west you know what he did with Skripal. yeah that was that was unheard of you know, the guy was already exchanged. He was in jail in Russia. He was exchanged. At that point, case closed, and he went after him anyway. So uh, I, I would certainly I would not uh, ever go to Russia yeah. again. Not not for a million dollars. Yeah. In in um. So after this period, once you basically uh, uh, made up the story that got the KGB to give up on you, so to speak. Then you start your American life thinking you're free and clear. And then the third act plot yeah. twist comes up that you're on the FBI's radar. And yeah, they start yeah. investigating. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know when I got on the radar. This was because it was three years prior to them actually saying hello. Yeah. They investigated me for three years uh, very carefully, very cautiously, uh, because they knew one thing that I was a highly trained agent and that if they got too aggressive with their uh, observations and with their investigations, I would know, uh, assuming that I was still active. Yeah. It didn't know. So it, it took them a long time, a lot of uh, uh, visual observation. And, and it took three years for them to uh, eventually introduce themselves. And then basically the FBI agent that caught you, you guys are golfing buddies now. <laughs> yes we are uh and uh and he he also appeared on the uh, 60 minutes uh, program uh that was done uh and he also had a part in the podcast that we finished and just uh released uh, uh, late last year so he's a good friend and and we we have a lot in common he he wrote the afterword for my book and the very last sentence uh, was really was really really good for me to read because he he wrote it may be strange but uh, uh, I'm convinced we could uh, we could use a lot more uh, in this people in, in this country as Jack like Jack Barsky yeah yeah well I mean so yeah he's he's got a very good point <laughs> and and now before uh, we yeah run out of of the time you've got. I would love to uh, move sort of into more of your perspective on yeah. different things from uh, modern America and then also some of the geopolitical stuff going on. But um, maybe we'll start with modern America right now because you've got such an interesting perspective of being born and raised in a ideologically communist country believing in it yeah. now you are a christian and fully 
uh, embracing American uh, capitalism. What uh, what do you think the current state of America is? Uh, is it good? Is it bad? And what are the main things going wrong with it? It, it troubles me to a great extent, uh, simply because we 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 now I, I can see ideology and brainwashing raising its ugly head. Yeah, uh, particularly in schools, the young young kids, and, and I know the kind of damage that uh, uh, thoughtless uh, ideology can do when it's in, uh, introduced at, at a young age. So I, see, I, I go back to, to Germany after so many years, and I reconnect with my classmates, my friend, my friends. And uh, to tell you the truth, a lot of them have not been able to overcome the influence of communist ideology. They still, they still look back, and that, by the way, that happens also in the Soviet Union. They still look back and say, "We had the right idea. We just had the wrong leaders." Okay. So the idea persists. Yeah. So, and and if you brainwash people at a young age, it's just extremely difficult to to overcome that brainwashing. I had the luxury of a very very slow step-by-step decontamination yep. where my eyes went oh, and I lived in 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 the other in in the alternative society right uh that helped you know for the my 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 comrades in east germany when the wall came down it was like somebody hit them over the head with a two by four yeah you know it's and so what and and ideology uh and uh, and the lack of reason uh, is very dangerous for individuals and uh, even more so in societies. And and we we get this from the left like crazy right now. Um, what? In many different in many different and the the attacks are come come from different angles. You know the gender the uh, the race yeah. issue that is made up and. And uh, uh, you know the the the, um, the fractionalization of of the countries and the you know the groups the uh, little groups that uh, have not, don't want to have anything to do with one another the 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 glue that has uh, uh, that we've had in as a society in, in this country is uh, not is very weak these days if yep. it even it might not even exist anymore uh, the last time I felt there was Strong glue was uh, right after nine eleven. Yeah, we were all Americans. Yeah, for about for about six weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it it's. Uh, I totally agree with that. That there's a uh, definitely in my lifetime I've seen an erosion of com- common traditions and agreement on what truth is and morality is. Yes, and that then that fracturing uh, leads people to, well, in America, a lot of it leads to self-interest and superficiality or then, oh, yeah. or then just embracing these uh, ideologies that uh, like communism, that communism sounds great, but it just never works. And right. what, like, 
how would you explain that to somebody the that has not lived through the differences you've seen of that <clears throat> even though it sounds great it's not going to work and it's going to be worse than what uh you've got now is there any let me let me just let me just uh try something else first sure. when you talk about interest in self yep this picture that I get to see every day on my newsfeed when celebrities are having their picture taken while taking a selfie is uh, is narcissism squared. Yep. And they're not even aware that this is like what? Yeah. You are you are not you are not the navel of the universe. Yep. Uh, anyway, so I just I have to I, I had the phone next to me. I have not ever taken a selfie in my yeah. life, <laughs> and I will not. You know, I'm not I'm not pretty enough. Now let's talk about uh, how communism doesn't work. Um, it fundamentally it doesn't work because it 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 has as a as one of the um, the foundational thoughts is that all men are good. And all we have to do to build a good society is to uh, um, free them from the handcuffs and the straitjackets that capitalism has put upon them, the the ex the exploitation. Okay. Uh, but that's that's not true. Yeah, yeah, not true at all. And when when you you know if if you observe and you know you study history and you observe what's going on today. There is evidence galore. There's a lot of evil in man. Yep. Uh, and it's personal evil, and it's it's evil that uh, uh, you know people like Putin. Uh, um, he's going to come after me now. <laughs> <laughs> if he watches the show uh, that that Putin represents, I mean, somebody who who thinks nothing of. Uh, you know, sacrificing his own citizen in a, in a cause that uh, that is pretty much discretionary. So, so it starts out with this false assumption, and so what you wind up. Communism is a very hierarchical system, yeah. right? There is a very top and there is a very bottom. But you know, if you build a pyramid like that with imperfect bricks, it won't last very long, yeah. right? The society itself, the way I, the way I experienced it, I knew it was not not perfect. We all knew it, but we had dreams of making it better. We just needed better people to lead yeah. us. There, there, there is a certain amount of laziness in a certain. Uh, there's a lot of people who are lazy. Yeah, there, there are not too many people who just like are uh, driven to to work on their own. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love people like that. And you you need to have the, a passion for what you're doing. You know, anytime you have to say, thank God it's Friday, uh, you're in the wrong job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, but you know, jobs have to be done. And, uh, you know, when we, we, uh, uh, when I was in high school, we also, uh, learned a trade. And so we spent every fourth week of the month in a, in a, in a large uh, um, oil refinery, coal processing plant, and we we saw how some people worked and the majority of the people just hung out. Yeah. Or, you know, there, there was a lot of laziness. There was no drive to, to do better, and there was no monetary incentive because you really got paid pretty much the same, whether you 
worked hard or not. And yet there was monetary incentives, but that was t- typically given to a team, to a collective, because it was the collective in communism that was uh, uh, supreme, yeah. not the individual. Yeah. So, you know, there were there were you know islands of where individuals could uh, succeed such as in the arts and in theater and in science to some degree but the masses just didn't have a drive to uh, to do better yeah yeah and so economically the system was fundamentally sitting on 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 feet of clay so to speak yeah um and we were well behind West Germany. The Soviet Union was well behind the United States. While I was there, I believed in the rationalization. And it's like the rationalization was, you know, the United States was an imperialist country that stole everybody else blind. Yeah. Okay. And West Germany just like did very similar things. And, and so, uh, that was, of course, a bunch of nonsense. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that there weren't some, some uh, you know, large uh, uh, companies, uh, conglomerates uh, that wouldn't go into the third world and, and t- take advantage of of uh, the the weaker governments there, and you know, did some stealing, so to speak. But that was not the reason. Yeah. The Western the Western world was much more wealthy, and uh, and then. There was something that I was not aware of, but the the um, the majority of the East Germans were very much aware of the uh, of the fact that they were watched by the Stasi, okay, and um, were careful and and sought um, sort of uh, relief from that by doing some things that are sound like at first glance, like really weird. Uh, but one thing wasn't weird. They drank more than the West Germans significantly more. Yeah. And, and they had a whole lot more nude beaches than the West. (laughs) (laughs) So that was sort of like where you celebrated your freedom that you otherwise didn't have. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't travel to the West. Germans uh, are notorious for, wanting to go places. Well, to us, the East was open, but only for guided tours. Yeah. And the West was closed. And so there were a lot of things that in a, in a, uh, in a communist hierarchy will just put straitjacket on, on the individual freedoms. Yeah. There's, and, and he, and, and this is very interesting. Uh, when the, the wall came down and uh, capitalism was then moved into East Germany, a lot of my old classmates didn't know how to how to operate. It's like being in jail for 20 oh, years yeah. and then being released into the world. You don't know what to do because uh, for the longest time you were told where to do, where to go and what to do. Yeah. Now this is this all just completely defeats the essence of what it means to be human. Yeah. It's the, right. It seems like it has something to uh, definitely with a uh, capitalistic democracy. It's founded on the idea of free will of every yes. individual being able to act in their own interest, which is completely missing from the communist model. And if that utopia that is promised can never be correctly 
deduced through the bureaucracy, then you're in a much worse spot because you're still your free will is gone to serve the collective. But then the collective isn't reaching the goal. They don't know how to get it to utopia. So you're just basically a slave, it seems like, to this. Yes. And and proof that it didn't work. Uh, The most advanced communist country in those days was, was East Germany. And we had already two generations growing up, or maybe already three, under communism. And yet this this uh, society spontaneously combusted. Yeah, nobody knew it was coming. The Stasi didn't didn't expect it. The KGB didn't know it. The CIA didn't know it. Uh, there were these these uh, Monday demonstrations in the city of Leipzig, and then they mushroomed and mushroomed. And before you knew it, somebody opened the wall. What and, and, and how that was mainly from uh I mean as far as like a macroeconomic cause Reagan's decisions economically correct to put pressure on them but was did that but then it was just a grassroots kind of it was grassroots East Germany wasn't really subject to uh, you know the, the Reagan's uh, Star Wars and initiative particularly and the the race the, uh that economically pretty much crippled the Soviet Union. Yeah. East, East Germany was still subsidized heavily by West Germans. Okay. Uh, and so East Germany didn't, wasn't really subject to that as much, even though at one point the Russians uh, uh, cut the, the oil flow to East Germany. Okay. Because uh, they were suffering and they needed, needed the oil to sell it to the West. Uh, there was some some impact, but it it was a spontaneous, uh, you know, uh, combustion. It was just really basically uh, people getting sick of the situation. People got yeah. yes, yes, and uh, it was probably not as much economic than it was. You know, the lack of freedom, the lack of uh, you know, and 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 also there, there were a lot, lot enough uh, families that had people in the west and in the east. So you knew, and and then yeah. when when East Germans uh, uh, were uh, went on uh, in, in re- went to retire, they were allowed to travel and even move to the west. Oh wow! Now they, they brought some of that poison, yeah. uh, <laughs> capital poison, with yeah. them, presents, and hey, they can do get this and this, and you can get a Volkswagen, and and here you got to wait ten years for. A piece of cardboard called the Trabant that had uh, two fewer horsepower than my lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it it just added up to a lot of dissatisfaction, and we uh, we also didn't have inspirational leaders. Yeah, never did. The only would be inspirational leader may may have been in uh, in, in the Soviet Union, Gorbachev, but uh, not really. Yeah, uh, he he was fundamentally feckless, uh, and you know he, he spouted a bunch of uh, nice words, but he he didn't make any radical changes. So he wanted to save the Soviet system, and he he failed miserably. So it doesn't work, and you know you don't have to, uh, you know, use Venezuela as an uh, as an uh, an example because I think Venezuela is not a good example. It was not. A, a highly developed economy. It wasn't really fully industrialized and was almost like third world. Yeah. 
just stick to East Germany and the Soviet Union. Yeah. I mean, they were doing significantly better. It doesn't work. Yeah. And so one other thing. Um, every nation that started out with a communist revolution or a communist takeover and with these phenomenal, uh, wonderful ideas of how to free everybody from oppression, suppression, every one of them wound up becoming a dictatorship. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's a period. very important and point. So, yeah. And the logic behind this is, is just forcing because so you have this monolithic state now. Somebody needs to make decisions, right? Yep. It, it can't, you can't leave, you know, you need to organize it. How do you, how do you organize yourself in this kind of a pyramid? And so at the very top is the Politburo and, and then there's the first secretary. And guess who gets there? Not the smartest. Not the kindest, but the most aggressive. Yeah. Enough said. Yeah. That's the it, it happens in corporate America too, not always, but yeah. very frequently. But that's the uh I always think back to uh, uh the Winston Churchill quote about democracy that uh yeah, yeah it's <laughs> it's the worst form of government except for all the others. And uh <laughs> exactly it's right. yes, yeah, the same thing with uh capitalism is it's by far far not a perfect system but so far it affords the most personal freedom and the most opportunity for advancement so yeah so it's just it it it's scary that people nowadays are thinking in america that communism is a viable alternative or not that bad they're just willfully sort of disregarding the the horrors of communist China. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, uh, but I guess it also has something to do that the media is really not, uh, the mainstream media is not really uh, um, putting a lot of emphasis on showing people what's going on in China. You have to go look for it. Yeah, yeah, which... Yeah, which is a whole uh, another can of oh, worms yeah. of like how entrenched economically we are that seems to to stop any discussion on that front. But yep. since we're filming this, uh, actually within the past uh, 48 hours, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin has actually gone into a full invasion of Ukraine and I kind of wanted to get your take from, again, your unique perspective, your unique life, your perspective into Russia. What do you think his, like, what is the overall, is he actually trying to uh, rebuild the Soviet Union? Is it an issue that he's just trying to, has he got a point with NATO getting too close to him? Is there something else going on? What's your your take of what's going on and what could happen in the near future. It, it is a mix. You know, I told, I spoke about the Russian paranoia. Uh, I don't know if I did. I, I think I spoke about this at lunch with somebody else. Uh, Russia has historically been since it, in uh, founding sometime in the middle ages, been attacked from North, East, Southwest, yep. uh, invaded many times. <clears throat> so uh, when Lenin, built the Soviet Union, he built this this buffer zone around Russia. Okay. Um, now, that's one thing, but uh, uh, and, and, and Putin ha- was on record at one point saying that the 
the the most tragic development in the 20th century was the uh, fall of the Soviet Union. Yep. So so he is at heart still a Soviet citizen, and uh, and there's a lot of traditions that that were carried forward. Soviet traditions. He, what we have right now in the in in Russia is uh, a, a dictatorship. Um, that doesn't have communism as an underpinning, but uh, nationalism. But it's it's a dictatorship. So and and Putin is is, uh, is a megalomaniac. You know he yeah. wants to build a a, a monument for himself. Okay, having brought back the greatness that sort of started under Peter the Great. Yeah, I was going to say Peter the Great or Ivan the Terrible. He wants to be in the yeah, yeah. yes now. Uh, what what's really in his mind, you know? I, any he's a he's a cagey guy. He will never tell you what he thinks. Yeah, and that's why he was such a good match. Or that that's why Donald Trump was such a good match because he 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 would also not always say what he what what yeah. was in his head. So, but but as far as the situation right now, if Putin cannot find a way to declare victory in some way, and then get out with his troops, he will have made a huge mistake. Okay. Because, and you've heard this probably many times uh, by many commentators, that the Ukrainians will fight, and they're fighting. Yeah. But nobody has mentioned the root cause of that hatred that, uh, uh, to my to my knowledge at least, uh, that hatred that uh, Ukrainians have for Russians yeah, I do 19, not. Yeah, I have not 19, heard that. 1932, uh, there was a strong separatist, separatist movement in the Ukraine to get, get out of the Soviet Union. <clears throat> what did Stalin do? He created a famine. Uh, he, had, he had the KGB and military. No, I do know about that. Yep. To take all the grain out of Ukraine and the people that that uh the whole, planted the holder holdemore or something yes yeah yes As millions of ukrainians starved to death you think that that nation has never forgotten that yeah and they will fight and this if if putin stays militarily if he occupies militarily uh ukraine uh he will have a some a much worse country than Afghanistan on his hands yeah. and that will do him in. Yeah. Uh, so my, I'm, I'm guessing that he may go and try to install a, a friendly government and then, and then withdraw, withdraw in some way. Because uh, that is, but, yeah, that is, but that friendly government's yeah. going to have a problem too, you know? That? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that uh, the, uh, yeah, the great famine in Ukraine, there's an excellent movie. I think it was called Mr. Jones that I saw about a year ago that is about the reporter that actually uh, went to there and tried to cover it to tell the world about it. And of course, mainstream uh, press shut him down because they were already tied in with Stalin at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the editor. uh, I've forgotten his name, but the phrase, uh, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. That was originated by the editor shutting down the story about the wow. Great Famine, saying like, "Oh, well, if you if 
few million people are going to die to basically help this worthy cause of communism. Pooh. Yeah. And that's 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 a horrendous rationalization. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, once again, the people in power, uh, yeah, shutting down the truth for supposedly a good, good thing that uh, just uh, a few million people happen to die in the process. But yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, oh no, always interesting times historically. And uh, so uh, yeah, is there anything? Because um, we we've already had uh, taken up a lot of your afternoon. Is there anything that you would like to kind of finish on as far as either modern United States uh, uh, communism uh, or? Uh, actually Christianity, God, anything you'd like to kind of finish up to give people something to think about? Well, I just want to tell the folks about, you know, Christian belief. Yeah. I I started out thinking that all Christians are idiots. Yeah. (laughs) Simply because they believe in something that can't possibly exist. uh, And they use their belief as a crutch I got to a point now to if you can't believe in a God, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, I, I studied chemistry and part of that was physics and math. It is unimaginable that this little ball of energy that was there, highly compressed energy that was there at the beginning of time, which, by the way, it, uh, for the longest time, this uh, – this concept w- was not even understood that you know that there was a big bang yeah the universe initially everybody that science thought the universe existed forever and all of a sudden uh science found out that uh you know the first chapter of the bible was actually more accurate than, yeah. <laughs> than science had been. <laughs> but it is unimaginable that this uh this uh, uh highly concentrated little piece of energy that would just explode. And then you have this universe of dead atoms that would spontaneously organize themselves into something that we call life. Yeah. And then something even more that's called intelligent life that actually can reflect on self. Now, if you, if you think that just happens spontaneously, I'm sorry, you're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, now you know we believe in different gods. We got the Jewish God and we got the Christian God. So we we have reasons why we, why why we believe that uh, that Jesus is uh, is the way to go. But uh, and, and there is plenty of evidence for for him to have been real as well. And that was something that helped me understand why I actually you know I'm a thinking Christian. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, and and my 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 thought process had to lead me into into becoming a Christian. Uh, that's the one thing. The other thing I, that's on my mind is uh, the reason that I'm, you know, I'm typically quite optimistic about most, most of it, much of everything, but I, 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 I have a hard time being optimistic about uh, the future of the United States, and that has something to do with the way we are educating or not educating our young people. Yeah. We are now already uh, in, I would say the third generation that has been trained and educated by the radical uh, young people uh, 
that uh, grew uh, bigger and more more, si- more more numerous during the Vietnam War. Yep. Okay. Uh, a lot of those folks stayed at university and they became professors and they taught teachers and and so there's a trickle down of of really um, bad education as a result. Our schools do not teach critical thinking anymore. Yep. They teach at best they teach facts and at worst they they teach ideology and beliefs. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And and if this does not uh, somehow get stopped very quickly as as I was talking about, you know, the the danger uh, and of 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 ideology being fed into you as a young person, I, I don't know if that's reversible. Yeah, because as we we agreed, you know, it's very hard. And these are these are all very often emotional arguments and slogans and and things that you just accept as the truth when because you haven't really been taught how to think. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry to end on a like sour note here, but um, there's always a chance. And uh, there's a possibility that, uh, you know, what, what uh, the left has been doing lately, uh, sho- they may be shoveling their own grave, at least uh, to be in there for quite a while. Maybe there's a way to, to do some reform and maybe there's a way to bring reason back in society. You know, even the whole idea of when people say, you know, I follow the science. None of these people know what science yeah, is. Yeah, that's most of those people couldn't tell you what the scientific method was. Uh, when no, the, yeah. because the scientific. You yeah. you you said it. Uh, science is a method to get to the truth, but you the the truth is never. Yeah, it's not uh, a person. Or concrete. A, yeah. We now got the truth. Yeah. yeah. Like for instance, when when this clown. Uh, now I forgot the. Uh, uh, ah. No, no, oh. they, they, our environmental czar, uh, the guy who f- has his own private plane. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know what his name is. But, yeah. but there's a couple of them. Let's yeah. say it was Al Gore. I don't think it was Al Gore. But when somebody like that says, the science of climate change is settled, yeah. that's a stupid statement. There's no science that has ever been settled. Yep. Uh, Einstein was wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, you know, I'm I'm going on a rant here, but uh, it just bothers me, and 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 unfortunately, what what I find now that uh, it happens even uh, when th- that clear thinking, uh, somewhat conservative journalists are babbling mindlessly and they're taking on some phrases that make no sense. Yep. My favorite phrase that makes no sense is that when they when they say Anthony Fauci, comma the nation's uh, most prominent virologist, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. He stopped being a virologist when he became a manager. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he has a bunch of virologists under him, and so then he picks and chooses when and the opinions that they have differ. Yeah. So now he picks and chooses what. Uh, what he will uh, you know, uh, share with the rest of us, and and it, it so it's the we we don't all of us and it includes me we don't think enough. Yep, 
we accept too many too much stuff as like oh yeah okay you know eight glasses of water a day that's yeah that's right yeah and that's what's so terrifying about the trend to uh solidify science into a doctrine or morality or once you take away free speech and stop we stop like debate discussion argument is all good because it helps us evolve toward yeah. greater yeah. truth and and people that's one of my biggest problems with people on the left went to shut all of that down and it's right. like it, right. that's so scary now we also have what what uh, i would call a, a, a right-wing echo chamber yep uh, where it's inappropriate to say something that you know may shift the thinking a little yeah. bit. So for that reason, I I don't necessarily uh, listen to only Fox News. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally you know occasionally yeah. go to somebody who's a who's a reasonable. Uh, Democrat or, you know, somebody more on the left just to hear what they're thinking. And occasionally I say, yeah, well, you know, that may be right. Uh, Like the other day I heard a doctor talking very reasonably about uh, some, some of the uh, medications for, for, uh, for, uh, you know, the, to fight uh, uh, COVID, right? Uh, The, what do you call this? Uh, The, uh, the, when you already have it, uh, some of these actually don't work. But there are a lot of commentators on the right. They keep on saying hydroxychloroquine, yeah. ivermectin. Yeah, they work a little bit, but you know. So it, it's it, it happens on the right as well. Yeah, uh, that we we have a certain we 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 uh, sing from the same hymnal, uh, but it is much more radical on the left. Yeah. And I I think you've hit the nail on the head that it is the lack of critical thinking, objective thinking, and that has been uh, taken away and ideological, political ideology and tribalism has superseded over that, where people, instead of uh, valuing critical thinking and, and sincerity, they're valuing just their team winning. Which yes. yeah, yeah, destroys yes. destroys us all. The more that goes on, but uh, yeah, well, yeah, thank yeah, you, we, yeah, very much, Jack, for taking the time for all this. This has uh, been incredible, and I can't. We only for anybody listening in on this, your book is phenomenal, and especially if you've got a desire to learn more about the reality of yeah. espionage. Yeah, your book does a fantastic job of that, of some of the stuff that it's just, I highly recommend anybody uh, pick up a copy because it's great stuff and uh, hopefully have you back on again to to talk when you got the time. All right. May, may I just a- yep. end with a plug for, for the podcast? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it's called it's called The Agent. It is the story of my life, but it's uh, and it is the truth as I know it and a dozen other people who had a something to do uh with my life know it okay and it's uh it's dramatized and it it's a it's good it it's really well done it's commercially done it's called the agent that terrific i'll find it and it, it, it's already apple 
Spotify, wherever okay. you, you find podcasts. Oh, yeah. I'll actually put a link to that in the show notes as well. And there it is, everybody, a fantastic discussion with your and mine and everybody's favorite former communist, undercover, KGB spy, born-again Christian who has become a conservative supporter of democracy and capitalism. If you don't think Jack's life is interesting, you have got some high standards. Um, Don't take my word for it, though, or this interview's uh, word for it. Um, Definitely check out his book, Deep Undercover, in the show notes below, as well as check out that podcast, The Agent, that he mentioned. And if you get a chance, if you could jump on the call-in app, and sign up for the Independent Riot to be notified of new live call-in shows we're kind of going to try and do. And if you're on the app and following it, it will let you know when those shows are happening so that you can jump in, call in, and um, we can answer questions about this episode and many others. So hope to see you there. Subscribe to the Independent riot please on whatever podcast uh player you use so you can uh, be notified of the excellent even more interesting interviews we've got coming up with uh attorneys and uh podcast hosts and reporters and all kinds of people so it should be good going forward thanks a lot for listening and whatever you do wherever you go just keep thinking for yourself Thanks for listening to the Independent Riot Podcast, your home for free thinkers, independent believers, and radicals questioning the status quo. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please do us a huge favor and leave a quick positive review on whatever platform you're using. It's free to you and super easy to leave us a good ranking and really help spread the word about the podcast to other independent thinking folks. Thanks for listening, and please go ahead and subscribe so we can be sure to see you next time.